little dry today, so forgive me. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that your spirit would fall on us. We need your power, Father. We need your Holy Spirit. We know that your Holy Spirit indwells us. We know that the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. But Father, fill us afresh day by day that we might live in the power of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we want to pray for the Waybrands and just pray that um, you would help Barb in this time of her of physical need with her heart valve replacement and then the, the need for a pacemaker. Pray that you give her body strength and we ask that you would encourage her and Philip and ask that your will would be accomplished in their lives and in our lives as we pray for them and see your will done. Encourage us, Father, and we want to remember Life Matters Worldwide this month in, in January. We Again, as we've already said, Father, we, we remember them throughout the year, but especially this month with the Sanctity of Life emphasis, we pray, God, that you would turn the hearts of our Supreme Court justices and that they would undo what was unjustly done in 1972. Father, please overturn Roe versus Wade. We have to stop murdering babies. Father, give the support that's needed, the encouragement. We know there are so many uh, pregnancy uh, uh, agencies around the states that are based on faith in Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, that, that you provide finances for them, that you provide finances for, for ultrasound machines and doctors and nurses to operate them, that mothers could see their babies before they make that awful decision. So we pray for, for that ministry and work. Touch lives, protect them, Father. Protect them from the evil one. That they might accomplish the work of going about saving lives. Father, we ask for your blessing on this service this morning and the business meeting that follows. That your name would be glorified. And that when people see the work done here through us, that they would glorify your name that the name of Jesus would be exalted and lifted up and out from this place. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open God's words to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We remember in chapter 3 that as Peter and John entered the temple, the lame man was there and asked for alms. And Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give you 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. And so they're, they're called out for this, and, and probably more so for the fact that they believe in the resurrection, but that they're calling attention to Jesus' name. The Sadducees don't like that. And so they call him in in the first part of chapter 4, verse 7. By what power and what name have you done this? Okay, where did my verse go? Yeah, okay. Um, Peter, Peter, in verse 10, says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead... And that, that made, you know, remember the chalkboard and the fingernail thing? That's what that was like for the Sadducees, okay? Because Peter repeatedly preaches that God has raised, raised Christ from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. They can't stand that. Especially in they, verse 13, they observed the confidence. Peter and John understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. These were just commoners. These were fishermen. And in the next couple of verses, we read that the, the Sadducees were speechless. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't agree. Because if they agreed that he was, the, the man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ, then they'd have to admit that Christ was in fact raised from the dead. They couldn't have that. So you, you talk about being between a rock and a hard place. When you're wrong, they were wrong more than once. And they didn't know which way to go to be wronger. Good grammar, huh? More wrong, okay. Couldn't be any more wrong. They were speechless. They were baffled by these guys. The the PhDs of the Sanhedrin were stumped by a couple fishermen. As you recall, as we studied and we looked at it, the reason they were stumped and the reason these men could talk with confidence and with intelligence was because they had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus this week? Can you talk with confidence? Can you speak up the truth? As we looked at verse 20, Peter, Peter's continuing talking to them. They've gone back and forth. And, and the Sanhedrin say, okay, shut up. Don't talk about this guy anymore. Peter says, we put God first before you. And he says, for we cannot stop speaking of what we had seen and heard. And if we go back just a couple pages to Acts 2, 24. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Death could not hold Jesus down. It was not a possibility. It was impossible. And with the same same degree of, of language expressed here, verse 24, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. They were not going to stop speaking and sharing Jesus Christ with the people because of what they had seen and heard that God's power had healed that lame man. And as we move into today's passage, verses 23 to 31, excuse me. If you understand that, that this passage 
is a prayer, it, it makes more sense and is more a little, just helps give it a little bit of context. When they, Peter and John, had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants may speak your word with confidence, with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Back to verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions. Essentially, they just won their their date in court. Verse 21 says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them. You're free to go. They couldn't. The the accusations were made, but there was no evidence. So they couldn't even whip them. All they could do is say, don't talk about that person anymore. They didn't even want to say his name. So the court case is over. First place they go. They didn't go to the Bahamas to take a vacation, say, whew, we're free. Charges have been dropped. Now the first place they go, they go to their companions. How cool is that? They went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord. They prayed. They prayed. I want to just remind you briefly and of some of the threads and the themes that we keep seeing through Acts and that we're going to keep seeing. And I could go one at a time and go back and forth several times. I'm just going to kind of run them together. And I think you're, you're bright enough that you'll figure out what they are and, and you'll know what I'm talking about. One fourteen. these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. One twenty-four, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these to have chosen when they were choosing Matthias to replace Judas. 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
And verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind. And then we're here in chapter 4, and I'm sure I probably missed a couple just going quickly, but in chapter 4, verse 21, they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And here, they're lifting their voices to God with one accord. They came together to pray because they know that they need to tap into the source of their power. And the way to do that is to talk with God, to communicate with Him. How do you grow and develop relationships with people in your lives? You talk with them. You spend time with them. And so here, when they had heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said... Hold your finger here and turn to Psalm chapter 2, where Don read this morning. This psalm is, is 12 verses. It's, it's uh, spoken in four different voices. It's, there's three verses in each section. And each one has its own voice. It's kind of hard to just pick up on the first time reading through, so we're going to go through for a few minutes and break it down and, and see, what, see what was the source of part of their prayer in, in Acts chapter 4. The first voice is the voice of the nations. The, no, the nations revolt against Christ. Why are the nations in an uproar, the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. All the classes of men are seen here. There's the social, the religious, and the political that that are, are showing themselves here to stand against God and his plan. Even before Pilate, the Jews said, we will not have this man to reign over us. They're the religious people of the Jews. We do not want this man to reign over us. We will serve Caesar. So we, we see the, the, the fallen man and the nations revolting against God and his Christ. The second voice is in verse 4 through 6. It is the voice of God the Father. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. His king was Jesus Christ. In the end, God wins. If you don't know that, know it. God is on the throne and he will remain on the throne. He will have his way. And God here says, you cannot thwart my plan. You will not. His plans and purposes will be seen to completion, despite the evilness in men's hearts. The third voice we see, verse 7 through 9, is that of Jesus Christ. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. 
Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance in the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron and will shatter them like earthenware. The Father has decreed, and so I will do my Father's will. His will will be accomplished through me, said Christ. I, I am there, I am ready, I am prepared to do my Father's bidding. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance. The, these uh, to the very ends of the earth is thy possession. Those in verses 1 through 3 that are against God and trying to thwart his plans and, and trying to uh, subvert what he predetermined before time. Christ is going to shatter and break them. And he has. He did on the cross. But when he comes back and sets up the millennial kingdom, once again the world will see that Christ is literally on the throne. We know that now. We know that he is in our hearts and we know that he is in heaven. But the whole world will know that Christ is the Son of God and he is the one that they are trying to thwart, but they will not be able to do that. Verses 10 through 12, we have the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judge of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's a warning. You guys, you still have a chance, but the day will come when you won't have that chance. He pleads, the Holy Spirit pleads with men to get right before Christ returns. Otherwise, you're going to be under his wrath. So be ready. Get ready. And for those that do, at the end of verse 12, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. Think of the 23rd Psalm, Isaiah 53. The, the refuge that we have in Christ. The, the peace, the comfort, the protection that only comes from Him. Philippians talks about the peace that passes understanding. Men can't comprehend it. When, when we're facing critical situations, when we're facing life's trials, as we say, be it an illness, Death. Let me think of a death of a child. I mean, does it get any worse than that? We think of the evil that goes on. The abuse that is put upon kids by parents and relatives, be it physical or emotional or sexual even. We can take hope even in the worst of times, even when our sin is at its ugliest, when the sin around us would would weigh us down and burden us and seek to discourage and to destroy us. How blessed are they that take refuge in Him, in the name of Jesus Christ. You can have that peace that the world can't possibly understand. 
doesn't mean we're going to skip through all those trials and sing happy songs all the time. And no, it can be it can be rough. It can be tough days, weeks, months. But we have hope. We have hope in our eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn back to Acts chapter 4. That was, that, that psalm is, is the psalm that <coughs> the, Jews, the Jews obviously read it. And, and it's so much, um, okay, people in 1 Corinthians, people can read the Bible and not understand it if they don't know Christ. I mean, those of us that do, we can read it sometimes and not understand it all. But to, to those that don't know Christ, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Because some things are spiritually discerned. And, and to a point that the Jews were said they were looking for a Messiah when he came, they didn't recognize him. They, they were told over and over by the prophets, he's coming, he's coming, prepare. John the Baptist said, he's coming. The one that's, He's right behind me, he's going to follow Oh, and here he is. This is him, the one we've been telling you about. Duh. They still didn't get it. And sometimes we don't get it. But then there's times where we do, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, and, and we talk about the aha moments. That I've read that 500 times in my life, and all of a sudden one day it made sense. It was like, wow, the Holy Spirit enlightened Open my eyes. Help me to see and apply that in my life and help me to understand it. This is one of those things for the Jews. For, for them to use Psalm 2 in their prayer shows that they understand. The Holy Spirit has enlightened them and opened their eyes to what Psalm 2 actually meant because before, this, they, before the Holy Spirit, they had not a clue. They obviously studied. They knew it. Because they could recall it in their prayer. But now it means something. Now they understand. It's, it's talking about the conflict between the world and Christ. It's, it's talking about Christ coming to be our refuge. So as, as they read here, at the beginning of their prayer, when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord. In saying that, they recognize him as sovereign. They recognize him as the mighty God, the absolute ruler, the one in control. O Lord. How often do we pray and we use platitudes and repetition because we've been saying it our whole life? When you bow your head to pray for the meal, dinner, can the other people around the table just about recite your prayer for you before you even speak it because you always say the same thing over and over again? If I, if I say the same thing over and over again, she tunes me out, and I get that, rightfully so, because she's already heard it a million times. Why listen one more time? It's the same story. So what, what about our reputa re reputations? repetitive having trouble with my words this morning when 
When we talk to God, do we mean what we say? I guess that's what I'm driving at. Do we think about what it means to say, Lord? He is sovereign. And in, in, in when we pray, we should not use vain repetition, repetition, but we do need to acknowledge that he is the king. He is on the throne. He made the way of salvation for us. O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. One, we acknowledge that he's sovereign, that he's supreme, but we can also acknowledge his attributes. And here they're talking about the job he did as creator. <laughs> I, I'll never, I can never think about creation again and, and won't the rest of my life without thinking of that Lou Giglio video. And the creation of God and the size of the universe. And how it takes like 52 million light years just to get across our cul-de-sac in our galaxy. And we're only one of thousands and millions of galaxies. How great is our God? And here, they're trying to let him know that they're acknowledging that he is sovereign and that he is the creator who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David's servant said, and then he goes into Psalm 2. We know earlier in Acts they were quoting from Psalms, and they were also quoting from Joel. So, I'll be honest with you, I don't do this often enough, but pray Scripture. Go to God's Word. Find a Psalm. Find another passage. When we communicate with Him, that helps, not, not, not that he needs any help, but that helps God to understand that we revere his word, that we love his word, that we respect his word. And if we will just pray it back to him, and that's what they're doing here by praying from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Right from Psalm 2.1, verse 1 there. Now, what's really cool here is, you know the Holy Spirit is at work because they're actually applying what they just, read, what they just prayed from Psalm 2.1. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They understand that what Psalm 2.1 is talking about, they're, they're putting names and faces to that, to those nations that stand against God. And right here they mention Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and even the people of Israel. They're, they're acknowledging, they understand that they were part of the group of nations that turned their back on God, that wanted to destroy him and thwart his purposes because they didn't understand. 
Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend the hand to heal, okay, they're, they're, they're praying back just to the lame man being healed in the temple. And signs and wonders take place. How? Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And we've looked at that time after time. 3.6, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. 3.16, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. Sanhedrin asked in verse 7, by what name? Chapter 4 and, and verse 10, again, Peter says, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Excuse me. Now, just because the building doesn't shake every time you pray doesn't mean you didn't do it right, okay? The beginning of the church, there were things that happened then to show that there was a transitional period. Transition from the Old Testament covenant to what Christ did for them on the cross. And and that uh, when Christ left, the Holy Spirit came to be their comforter. Some say, was this another Pentecost? No. There's only one Pentecost. There's only once that the Holy Spirit was given. But when they prayed and the way they prayed, God, I believe, did this to help them understand that he heard them and appreciated their prayer. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit once. The Holy Spirit indwells us. But we may experience his filling from time to time. There's times where I feel like, oh, this is gonna, I, got this, I got this nailed today. This sermon is going to be the greatest ever. And I come and I go, Shoop! as PR used to call, call it, he laid an egg. Then there's times where I'm like, oh, man, I'm a wreck. This isn't ready. What's going on? Lord, help. And he does. And it's probably better than other sermons when I tend to want to rely more on myself and my study. When they prayed, the place they'd gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy to speak the word of God with boldness. See that the, the prayer started with the God's attributes. It was rooted in Scripture. And, and they were praying for, work, for, for the work of the ministry. 
They weren't praying for riches. They weren't praying for supernatural gifts. They were praying that God would use them to be part of his ministry, to accomplish his will and his plan. And when you get out of the way and let God, his Holy Spirit will fill you and give you boldness to speak the truth. I don't know that it was necessarily the day of the week this was, but I don't, I'm not sure if it was a Wednesday prayer and praise meeting that they had after the trial. More of God's people witnessing of Christ in their daily life, if more were, there would be more of a sense of urgency in our prayers and blessing when the church met to pray. Are you sharing your faith? Are you telling others? Because they received the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. And I don't think they just sat there and talked to each other. I really don't. (laughs) The Sanhedrin said don't. Holy Spirit said do, and they did. As Peter said, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. If there's division in the church, division always hinders prayer and robs the church of spiritual power. We talk about unity, and and I fear that a lot of our unity is superficial on the surface. Real unity would bring about more power in prayer. This isn't a scolding session, but there's there's statistics if you look in Christian magazines that are produced and other things like that. The percentage of people that come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night compared to Sunday. There should be more people here on Wednesday night than there is on Sunday morning. That's all I'm going to say. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Prayer and the word go hand in hand. They're a tandem. One shouldn't be without the other. Reading of the word, study, is critical and it's important. And we shouldn't pray without it. It should be part of it. Just to read a a few lines, this is uh, from my Warren Wearsby commentary. God, God gifts some men better than others, and I like Warren Wearsby. He's just got a way of saying some things. All, all about this passage in prayer. Augustine's wise words, 
Pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. Prayer isn't going to get it done. We've got to put feet to, our act, to, the, to the words and to the prayers. These guys did not ask for protection. They asked for power. They did not ask for fire from heaven to destroy the enemy, but for power from heaven to preach the word and heal the sick. The emphasis is on the hand of God at work in the life of the church and not the hand of man at work for God. Their praying was based solidly on the word of God. In this case, Psalm 2, the word of God and prayer must always go together. In his word, God speaks to us and tells us what he wants us to do. In prayer, we speak to him and make ourselves available to accomplish his will. True prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us. It means getting God's will done on earth, not man's will done in heaven. They did not pray to have their circumstances changed or, uh, or their enemies put out of office. Rather, they asked God to empower them to make the best use of circumstances. Our said, pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all, pray. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord. Father, we thank you that you are the creator of the universe. We thank you that you are the sovereign God on the throne. We thank you that you love us and that you are patient with us, that you forgive us. And that you want to use us. Father, help us to accomplish your work through the power of the Holy Spirit. That your name would be exalted. That people would see the work that's being done here, not just to the building, but through Good News Club. Through the baby pantry. Through the preaching of your word and say, God is at work. Father, thank you for this time together, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.